Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Josh Hammer. Welcome back. Great to be back in the saddle. I was off on the road last week. I was in the great state of Texas for three nights. I split my time between Houston and Dallas doing four speaking events, three of which were on university campuses. And that actually is the perfect segue to what I want to talk about this week. You guys have no doubt heard or seen, read about the unfathomable atrocity that happened last Thursday at the number two ranked law school in the United States of America, Stanford Law School out in California, where a sitting judge of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, Judge Kyle Duncan, was heckled and shouted down after his invitation to campus to speak to the Stanford Federal Society. He was unable to complete his speech as a sitting federal judge. And we've had any number of previous guests on this program. Ilya Shapiro. Recall what happened to Ilya Shapiro, just real quick. We had Ilya on last year to discuss what happened to him at Georgetown University Law Center, where he was technically hired, but was never able to actually teach due to a purportedly poorly worded tweet about Katanji Brown Jackson's ultimate ascension to the U.S. Supreme Court. I say purportedly because most people condemned it as poorly worded. Maybe, maybe unartfully worded, inartfully worded, maybe. Honestly, it wasn't that bad. So we had Ilion last summer. You can go ahead and check out that interview. Literally just last week, we had Professor Amy Wax of a, another top 10 law school, the University of Pennsylvania, Cary School of Law, discuss Dean Ruger's Jihad. And yes, it is a jihad against Professor Amy Wax to strip her of tenure and ultimately get her fired for various comments that she has made, largely in a non-academic setting pertaining to immigration and and things of that nature. They are just absolutely horrific. And then if you recall, those of you who pay close attention to these matters, it was just around a year ago, it was last February or March, that Kirsten Wagoner, the general counsel of the Alliance Defending Freedom, one of the nation's preeminent law firms dedicated to fighting religious liberty, was also shouted down and heckled at the number one ranked law school in the United States of America, Yale Law School, which subsequently led my former boss, Judge Duncan's colleague on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, Judge James C. Ho, led Judge Jim Ho to announce this past fall a prospective boycott on hiring law clerks from Yale Law School. Judge Ho decided to effectively boycott the boycotters. Now, there has been some progress on that front. The only other judge to join Judge Ho uh, publicly and and, and, and vehemently thus far, at least at the appellate court level, was Judge Lisa Branch of the 11th Circuit and then Judge Ho and Judge Branch in an event up at Yale Law where, you know, we'll see where it goes. But the point was that itself was a flashpoint when Kirsten Wagoner of ADF was herself shouted down. 
And if I recall correctly, I don't even think Kirsten Wagner was doing a solo event. I think she was doing a debate. Now, before getting to Judge Duncan, and there was a lot to unpack here, I legitimately feel like this is a turning point. This is a turning point in in the campus wars and the fight for intellectual freedom, really kind of in the culture war, more generally speaking. There is simply no other way to view the abomination of this video that has been blasted everywhere on Twitter, on Fox News, of these infantilized, mollycoddled, elitist scums. And that is what these kids are. 20-something-year-old scums shouting him down at every other word. Your racism is showing, bigot, homophobe. What the hell? So before getting to that, because we're going to have a lot to say on that topic, I do want to just briefly set the table here. So I was one of Judge Ho's first law clerks back in 2018, shortly after he became a Fifth Circuit judge. It was actually later on that same year that Judge Duncan himself ascended to the Fifth Circuit. So got to know Judge Duncan a little bit, and we've maintained friendly relations ever since then. I think very highly of Judge Duncan. Obviously don't agree with him on every single issue, don't agree with my own former boss in every single issue. Don't agree with anyone other than myself in every single issue. But he, I think very highly of the guy. I think he's a gentleman, a scholar, as they say, in addition to his generally sharp legal interpretation and all of that. And subsequently, after my clerkship, it was January 2020, I wrote my one and only piece, actually, for the National Review publication, praising and defending an opinion that Judge Duncan wrote. It was a case called U.S. versus Varner. And it was a case where Judge Duncan explained for a majority of the Fifth Circuit why the Fifth Circuit would actually not use biologically incorrect pronouns when that issue was directly teed up and the court had to decide on this issue. And the piece I wrote for the National Review publication was entitled, quote, the Fifth Circuit rejects the live transgender pronouns. Ever since I wrote this piece defending Judge Duncan's work in the Varner case, I have to say, of all the writings that I have ever written, and at this point I have a fairly lengthy track record (laughs) across any number of publications, lay publications, quarterly journals, academic publications, this is literally to this day the one piece that they still flip out at me about. When I go speak on campuses, in kind of other kind of non-campus setting discourse and polite society, you might say. I remember, actually, it was a year and a half or so, almost two years after I wrote that piece for National Review, so it was October 2021, I was speaking myself, so I also do a number of lectures through the Federal Society, which is the umbrella kind of conservative libertarian legal organization that was founded in the early 1980s and has really spread throughout much of America, really kind of punches above its weight. It is really kind of a fairly rare story of institutional success within the conservative movement. I have some criticisms of kind of some of the underlying theories, and we can get into that another time, perhaps. But the point is, the Federal Society has punched above its weight. And I was invited to Northwestern Law School by their Federal Society chapter back in October 2021, so almost two years after I wrote the National Review piece. And I was this was probably the single worst campus protest that I have ever had. I've been protested a number of times. In fact, just a month and a half ago, when I was back in, in DePaul Law School, 
the uh, affinity groups, you know, like the LGBT group and the uh, South Asian Law Society group, all the various kind of interest groups, the intersectional rainbow, if you will. They jointly prepared kind of a seven to eight minute statement when I was at DePaul last month, just condemning me. Very bizarre, like literally had this prepared statement. I'm not sure why the Federal Society chapter there permitted them to read the statement. I was kind of just off the side, not really listening, kind of just scrolling my Twitter feed, seeing what was happening in the news that day. But worse than that was this October 21 event at Northwestern Law School where I was boycotted, boycotted due in no small part to that piece that I wrote defending Judge Duncan. The Northwestern University Law Professor, Northwestern's a top 14 law school, by the way. It's usually ranked somewhere like 11 or 12, somewhere in that range. Definitely a very good law school, many notable faculty members there. The faculty members around the time that I was speaking, it was a late afternoon talk, if I recall, in October 2021, they actually canceled class and mass to permit students to protest me. The reply all student listserv had been blowing up for weeks prior to this event. I saw screenshots from current students there saying just all sorts of vile and disgusting stuff about me. And then sure enough, when I got there, there were, I would estimate probably 30 to 40, maybe as high as 50 people holding signs protesting me. It was almost regal, actually. I remember walking into that classroom. They had these protesters kind of lining both sides of me. <laughs> you know, in a weird way, it's almost kind of praising to get that much attention. Obviously, what I was talking about had nothing to do with what they were protesting. It had nothing to do with transgender stuff. I was talking about constitutional interpretation, for God's sake. But a lot of it was due to this piece that I wrote for the National Review back in January 2020, about Judge Duncan's opinion and pronouns. And sure enough, it was about a month or so after that Northwestern Law School event in November 2021 that I participated at the Federal Society's National Lawyers Convention on a panel about critical race theory and education and DEI. And this panel was moderated by Judge Duncan. In fact, I sat immediately to his left on this panel and as the execrable, the execrable, Slate.com intellectual midwit Mark Joseph Stern pointed out on Twitter at the time, I took that moment to praise Judge Duncan yet again for his Varner opinion and for standing for both biological and linguistic truth. The video is public on YouTube. Anyone can watch it. Um, But all that is to say that I am not personally neutral on the question of Judge Kyle Duncan, who, again, is someone I got to know during my time clerking on the Fifth Circuit and who I hold in very high esteem, both from a personal and more importantly, from a jurisprudential and intellectual standpoint. Some differences, of course, notwithstanding. So with that as our table setting, Judge Duncan, who had a fairly prolific career, even prior to the time that he was a federal judge. I don't have his CV memorized, but if I remember the highlights, he worked at Beckett Fund, which is a preeminent religious liberty law firm. He was a professor, I believe, at Ole Miss Law in Oxford, Mississippi. I think he had a stint in the Texas Solicitor General's Office or Attorney General's Office, I believe the Solicitor General's Office back in Austin, Texas. So he was pretty accomplished before even he was a federal judge. But the point here is, He's a federal judge at this point. And for whatever it's worth, a federal appellate judge. So a civics 101 reminder here, for those of you who don't follow these matters as closely as I do, the federal judiciary is basically divided between three tiers. You have the district court level, which is where the federal trials are. 
Then you have the appellate courts, of which there are 13 circuits, 1 through 11, the D.C. Circuit and the Federal Circuit. And then, of course, you have the U.S. Supreme Court, which has a discretionary docket, which has to grant a writ of cert in order to hear cases. And we all know how that goes. But the appellate courts, the courts of appeal, are quite prestigious. There are not that many federal appellate courts in the country. Under 200, for sure. This is a big, big position. And federal appeals judges speak publicly routinely. They speak publicly all the time. They will speak in federal society meetings. They will speak at, uh, some will speak, I guess, at ABA meetings. Some will speak at kind of the federal society's rival organization, the ACS, American Constitution Society. And many speak on law schools all the time. So Judge Duncan was invited by Stanford Federal Society out last week to speak about some of the current battles from a legal perspective in the Fifth Circuit pertaining to COVID, Twitter, Second Amendment guns. And he couldn't get a word in. The video that has been circulating is appalling. Judge Duncan, who is based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, trekked all the way out to Palo Alto, California, only to be heckled and shouted down via a heckler's veto, which is the antithesis of the First Amendment. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. People can politely protest all they want. You know, in fact, after my protest at Northwestern Law School, I actually tweeted out saying, guys, like, if you're going to protest, this probably is the right way to do it. I could have gone without some of the vile language in those reply all emails on the school listserv and those signs in the back of the classroom when I was walking in. But it's not like they shouted me down. It's not like they heckled me. The only time that I personally have experienced a heckler's veto was April 2019 at my own alma mater, the University of Chicago Law School, where the speaker that day, who has become a good friend of mine, Eugene Kantorovich, speaks and writes on a number of issues, many of which pertain to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So he was talking that day at University of Chicago Law School about the constitutionality of anti-BDS legislation, of legislation that, at the state level, that bans states from contracting with contractors that support the economic boycott, divestment sanctions of the state of Israel. And that event was shouted down. I was there. I saw it. It was shouted down by a rabble-rousing student who was not actually there in person that day, if I recall, but he had kind of corralled a, a, a gang of hecklers to shout it down. And Eugene kind of huddled up closely to the students who wanted to hear the talk and basically had to shout at the top of his lungs to those who heard it. Do you know what happened to the University of Chicago Law School students who organized that shouting down of Professor Eugene Kontorovich? He was de facto expelled. He was suspended from law school for, I believe it was a year or two. I think it was, I guess it was, he was suspended for the rest of that year and then was told he could not reapply for three or four years. I can't remember the exact number. So not de jure, not technical legal expulsion, but de facto effective expulsion. That is how you handle the heckler's veto. So kudos to my alma mater, the University of Chicago Law School, for how they handled the aftermath of that situation. I I thought 
campus security should have been quicker to get there to salvage the event in real time, but strong kudos, big kudos for how they handled it in the aftermath of the event. That is quite different from what we have seen thus far out at Stanford Law School. So as these things happen, I know this from firsthand experience, as I've just said, in the run-up to this event, I guess the students there in the leadership of Stanford Federal Society were told that something along these lines, some sort of protest was coming. And then Judge Duncan gets there and every time he tries to get a word out, is just shouted down, he's heckled. And here is where it gets really bad. If I recall the sequence of events correctly, at some point after Judge Duncan realized that he was simply not going to be able to get his words in, he was not going to be able to talk about what he had planned his remarks to talk about there, he asked for a law school administrator to come and try to enforce order. And by enforce order, I literally just mean secure his ability to speak freely as an invited speaker, as a sitting federal appellate judge to the nation's second-ranked law school in the country. And this is where it gets really bad. The DEI dean, the dean of so-called diversity, equity, and inclusion at Stanford Law School, a petty tyrant Robespierre-esque figure by the name of Tyrion Steinbach, who had been sitting silently watching these students subject this federal appellate judge to the most juvenile of insults. Racist, sexist, bigot, homophobic, all, all this crap. At some point, she emerges from her silence and gets up there, and then she reads a statement that she had previously prepared about how horrible Judge Duncan is, and she's talking at both sides of her mouth. On the one hand, oh, we stand for free speech. On the other hand, the bizarre analogy she used was, she said, was the juice worth the squeeze? Meaning, in her midwit of a mind. Is what you have to say, sitting federal appellate judge, so important that it must overcome the harm that your presence is doing here on campus? Let, let's go ahead and listen. Again, this video has been viral on Twitter, has been over cable news, at least conservative cable news. Let's go ahead and listen to Dean Steinbach in her own words there. And I have to write something down because I'm so uncomfortable up here. Um, and I don't say that for sympathy. I just say I'm deeply, deeply uncomfortable. Um, I'm uncomfortable because this event is tearing at the fabric of this community that I care about and I'm here to support. And I don't know, and I have to ask myself, and I'm not a cynic to ask this, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is this worth it? It isn't a setup. But for many people in this law school who work here, who study here, and who live here, you're advocacy, your opinions from the bench, land as absolute disenfranchisement of their rights so and does land. And it impacts directly their people, humans, their families, and their communities. And I'm uncomfortable, and it's uncomfortable to say this to you as a person. It's uncomfortable to say that for many people here, your work has caused harm, has caused, has caused harm. And I know that must be uncomfortable to hear. I know that must be. Let me please finish. And I want to give you space to finish your remarks too, Judge Duncan. What absolute garbage. What absolute garbage. 
This, I, I cannot emphasize this point enough. This is the second ranked law school in the United States of America. What do you think lawyers are trained to do? There is this toxic, utterly toxic warping of the vocational mission of the legal academy that at first happened slowly and recently has happened quickly, as it is said, that has transmogrified. The one-time purpose of the legal academy, which is to zealously defend your client, engage in reason, discourse, and as with all things in academia, ultimately arrive at the truth. That is the entire purpose of the Socratic dialogue that still predominates in your first-year law school setting. At some point, we have totally lost and abandoned that for this idea that we are training an army of social justice warriors who will seek to eradicate transphobia xenophobia, all this other pablum. So the law schools, Yale, Stanford, the top law schools. Again, we've seen what happened with Amy Wax at Penn, Ilya Georgetown. These are all top 14, top 15 law schools in America. These law schools have been weaponized to pursue a partisan ideological lens. They have completely and utterly forsaken their noble goals of training lawyers to represent their clients zealously engage in civil, reasonable discourse, and so forth. Unbelievable. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. You know, Rod Dreher, my good friend Rod Dreher, formerly of the American Conservative, he has published a, a written interview with Judge Duncan in the aftermath of this. I would encourage you all to check it out. Judge Duncan, to his immense credit, has not stood by and taken this idly. In various forms already, and again, this all happened less than a week ago, but in various forms already, he has been fighting back. You know, on Friday, the day after his talk, Aaron Sibirium of the Washington Free Beacon had a, an article in a tweet thread where he said that Judge Duncan described what happened to him as, quote, dog shit, close quote. He has called for a public apology to the Stanford Federal Society students who were ridiculed, who were bashed and made fun of for their decision to having the temerity to invite a sitting Fifth Circuit judge to speak. And he properly speaking has called properly, admirably, I would say, has called for the firing of this disgraceful diversity crat, to use the language of the Manhattan Institute's Heather McDonald, of this disgraceful diversity crat, Tyrion Steinbach. And that, of course, is one of the broader takeaways from this sordid affair as we turn towards some of our takeaways from that. DEI is incompatible with higher education. Put another way, you can have proper higher education, actual higher education that actually teaches and instills the values in students, that trains them to be decent citizens with a sense of patriotism for family, nation, and God to ultimately pursue truth through reasonable means, all of the kind of classical, traditional goals of the academy. You can have that, or you can have DEI bureaucracies, administrators on campus. You have to pick one. They are fundamentally irreconcilable with each other. And as an aside, I am 
happy to live in the state of Florida where another recent guest on this program, Governor Ron DeSantis, has made it a priority to defund and ideally ultimately eradicate DEI bureaucracies from at, at minimum public universities here in the state of Florida. They simply have to go. Think about the incentive structure. These people are literally paid to police campus and find perceived microaggressions, to use one of the vogue terms of the day. They are literally paid to rove around and to stir up trouble. You can't have this if you want to actually have a climate of tranquility, of intellectual openness, of intellectual freedom. So these DEI bureaucracies in general have to go. And this dean has to be fired. This dean has to be fired for multiple reasons. One of which is her actual conduct, no matter what the kind of actual rules the Stanford Law School say, was just disgraceful. At the exact time that an administrator should have gotten up there and protected the speaker from the mob, she got up there and protected the mob from the speaker. She completely perverted her role in a situation like that, thus validating the heckler's veto and validating the outrageous, vile, juvenile things that these mollycoddled assholes of students were spewing in their vitriol to this esteemed federal judge. But when it comes to Stanford Law School's rules, she had to be fired, or she has to be fired, because she openly and flagrantly violated Stanford Law School's own nominal commitment to opposing the heckler's veto, to opposing speakers being shouted down, and to support the free and open ideas of discourse on campus. You know, it got so bad here for Judge Duncan, the progressive left-wing Mini Robespierre activists so outnumbered the Federal Society and the DEI dean who was there. By the way, there were other deans there too, if I'm not mistaken, who were totally silent. This hack of a DEI dean is the only one who actually did any public speaking. But it got so bad there. The left-wing students were so outnumbering the conservative students that U.S. Marshals had to get involved to ensure the safety of a sitting federal appellate judge. Again, here is an excerpt I will just read to you. This is Judge Duncan responding and writing to Rod Dreher, who, as I mentioned, wrote up an interview on his Substack with Judge Duncan about this exchange. So Rod Dreher asked Judge Duncan, did you fear for your safety at any point? Here is Judge Duncan, quote, It was a deeply unpleasant experience, but no, I didn't fear for my safety. We haven't reached the point, yet, where the kind of vicious invective thrown around thoughtlessly by coddled law students portends real violence. Still, had you been there, the loathing in the room for me and everything I supposedly stand for would have been almost tangible. And not only were my judicial opinions or my ideas attacked, the attack was intimately personal and frankly disgusting. If I talked to a dog the way those students talked to me, I'd feel ashamed. One other thing about safety, and this is kind of incredible. As the protesters were noisily filling into the classroom, a somewhat older gentleman approached me and said something like, Quote, Your Honor, I'm from the U.S. Marshal's office in the Northern District of California. We heard there was something going on at your presentation, and we decided to come out and make sure you were safe. Close quote. I was speechless, Judge Duncan continues. I had thought about contacting the marshals, but decided it would have been overreacting. And yet, by the grace of God, not one but two marshals showed up on their own initiative. 
They were wearing street clothes, so it wasn't obvious who they were. The marshal told me, quote, if you feel unsafe at any time, just put your hand on top of your head and we'll get you out. I love those guys. So, no, I never felt unsafe. But the presence of two U.S. marshals helped. And here is the key conclusion, honestly, from my perspective. This is Judge Duncan again. He says, quote, as we were walking out after the quote unquote talk, one of the marshals, sadly shaking his head, said, quote, I've never seen anything like that. You really should read the whole interview. Judge Duncan says, quote, for a good 20 to 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes, I was ruthlessly mocked and shouted down after every third word. The DEI dean purported to, quote, welcome Judge Duncan to campus, which is the word that she used while simultaneously throwing him under the bus. It was, as Judge Duncan again said to Roger, it was a, quote, staged public shaming where he was a de facto hostage. It was a staged hostage situation at the second-rate law school in the country involving a sitting federal appellate judge in which the left-wing hack students and this grotesque and embarrassing professional diversity crat of a DEI dean were woefully and entirely complicit. In the final calculation, Judge Duncan concludes, quite morbidly to Roger Ayer, that what happened here is incompatible with the future of the idea of the U.S. as a liberal democracy. I mean, how, how could this possibly be compatible with the idea of democracy at all? No, really, I really mean that. These students refuse to hear the reasoned, valid ideas of a sitting judge because he would, quote, he didn't recognize their right to exist. This is kind of like the new hack line that has become almost ubiquitous in these settings. I myself, just a few weeks ago, was doing a Zoom event with the University of Arizona Federal Society chapter, and after the deeply inhospitable and rude faculty, quote-unquote, commented on my talk, the the Q&A became quite hostile quickly. At some point, one one of the speakers raises her hand and says, I'm a lesbian, do you recognize my right to exist? And I refuse to answer the question, at least at first, because these so-called questions are pure staged. They are there. They are completely unserious. They are there to subject conservative speakers to ridicule. That is it. That is the entire purpose of these ridiculous antics and shenanigans. Outrageous. But as Judge Duncan concluded to Rod Rare, this matters because Again, Stanford Law School, number two law school in the country, the people who graduate from these institutions will be future elites, whether we want them to or not. So as Judge Duncan said, quote, what they think is acceptable behavior matters immensely. And here is his eerie conclusion. And this is the final piece of Rod Dreher's interview with Judge Duncan that, again, you should check out the whole thing. This is the final part that I will read. He says, quote, What if in 10 or 20 years time, this kind of behavior is the norm in the courtroom, the law firm and the boardroom? And I don't necessarily mean loud vulgarity and shouting people down. Instead, I mean a situation where power and ideology always trump reasoned debate. When we reach that place, and I'm assuming we haven't already reached it in some way, then the rule of law will have turned into barbarism. Wow. I mean, if that doesn't get kind of the hair on the back of your neck going up, I'm not sure what will. That is harrowing stuff. A federal judge talking about the 
descent of the rule of law into barbarism. Now, this past Saturday, it is worth at least pointing out that the president of Stanford and the dean of the law school sent a terse, a brief letter to Judge Junkin apologizing for the disruption at his recent talk. And the letter also includes kind of an implicit condemnation of the DEI dean, this wretched abomination of a diversity crat, Tyrion Steinbach, where in this brief letter, the president and the dean say, quote, in addition, staff members who should have enforced university policies failed to do so and instead intervened in inappropriate ways that are not aligned with the university's commitment to free speech. So, okay, I mean, that is good as far as it goes. The next paragraph of this jointly worded letter to Judge Duncan then reads, quote, we are taking steps to ensure that something like this does not happen again. Well, we out there must now remain vigilant to make sure that they do so. What are those concrete steps going to be? Are you going to fire this disgrace of an administrator, Dean Steinbach? What are you going to do about the DEI bureaucracies in general here? And this is kind of the grand point that I am building up towards. What happened to Judge Kyle Duncan this past week at Stanford Law School's Federal Society is a watershed moment any which way you look at it. It is, and we simply must understand, that it is a turning point, or we must strive to make it a turning point in the campus wars. Of all the various horrible antics that have happened on campuses in recent years, and there are far too many to count. Again, I have experienced some of them myself. Ilya Shapiro, Amy Wax, Kirsten Wagner, all of them. This has to be the worst. This has to be the worst. And I am encouraged to see that Fox News is showing clips. They are talking about it. I am encouraged to see Judge Duncan himself speaking up about it. Again, calling the way he was treated, quote, dog shit publicly calling for the firing of, of Tyrion Steinbach. This is, suffice to say, these are not the kind of things that, that sitting federal appellate judges do, so you know that it's a big deal when they do it. As Judge Duncan himself has conceded, he is angry, and he is righteously indignant. He has every reason to be angry. He flew from Baton Rouge to Stanford to be subjected to that treatment by pampered babies who would be better getting drunk all day in their trust funds at the local country club than studying for law. Each and every one of those mini Robespierre's should be disbarred prospectively before they even take the bar exam. They should not be allowed to take the bar exam anywhere. That is conduct completely unbecoming of anyone who hopes to enter the legal profession. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And again, from our perspective here, from those in the chattering class with the microphones, with the pens, with the keyboards, the keyboard warriors, those of us on the, in the news, in the media, in the legal profession, the judges, we all now have an obligation. If you stand for sanity over insanity, if you stand for reason over wokeism, if you stand for a culture over a lack of culture, if you stand for the most basic principles, like truly the most rudimentary basic principles that make this country 
worth preserving. You have a duty and obligation to vocally stand with Judge Duncan on this to condemn loudly, clearly, and unapologetically what happened and to try to use this as a teaching moment. You know, again, I am encouraged by the way that Judge Duncan is already fighting back. I heard that the president of the Stanford Federal Society was preparing to go on Megyn Kelly's own program. I'm not sure if he has gone on already. These are the kind of things that we need to see happen here. This has to be blasted everywhere as an example of the horrific low. And this is the lowest of lows that the intellectual freedom or lack thereof, that the intellectual climate on campus has descended into. Because if we don't recover any idea of what's going on the campuses from here, if we don't work hand in hand to abolish through the force of law these professional rabble rousers and these so-called DEI bureaucracies, start with the Dean Steinbach for sure. She has disgraced herself beyond possible measure. Start with her for sure. The broader project, though, has to be to eradicate DEI from the American University campus, period. Full stop, period. End of story. College, law schools, business school, it doesn't matter. As we have now, the world has now seen, it is irreconcilable with open discourse, free speech, and anything that makes this country worth preserving as America in the first place. That is not an overstatement. It is really not. So... I really hope that the people on our side use this as a moment to get the word out there. Again, whether it's me, Ilya, Amy Wax, Kirsten Wagoner, you know, you hear about these stories. Uh, Another friend of mine who does a lot of federal society speaking, Professor Josh Blackman of South Texas College of Law, there was a similar situation happening to him. I can't remember if he was just protested or ultimately genuinely shouted down, was extremely hostile. He was speaking... In New York City, maybe two or three years ago, it was a, uh, maybe even four years ago at this point, um, at CUNY, one of the City University of New York law school campuses. And I remember Josh saying that someone there in campus police, maybe, maybe it was a marshal, probably campus police, said to him, what is your exit strategy? Meaning, what is your way out in case this thing gets ugly? And I remember Josh musing like, what is this, Iraq? Is this like the Iraq war with like David Petraeus with like the surge back in like 06, 07? Like, what is your exit strategy? Are you kidding me? It's a law school setting, for God's sake. He was invited to give a talk. But that's basically what the U.S. Marshal here at Palo Alto had to ask Judge Duncan. What is your exit strategy? As the case may be, as Judge Duncan has told Rodrera, it was tap on your head and, and the marshals will get him out of there. Unbelievable. I mean, if you are not livid at what happened to this good man, a good man, a gentleman and a scholar and a sitting federal appellate judge, if you are not livid at what happened to Judge Kyle Duncan, then wake the hell up. Wake the hell up. And while I wholly commend what is happening here in my own state of Florida when it comes to the new College of Florida and Governor DeSantis' moves in appointing folks like Chris Rufo, Charles Kessler, Mark Bauerlein, Matthew Spaulding to the Board of Trustees in an attempt to kind of reorient that institution and turn it into a so-called Hillsdale of the South. I, I wholly commend those efforts. But man, looking at kind of the broad scheme of things, as Inez Stetman has argued recently for Claremont Institute's American Mind, but more generally for years, one of the onuses has to be to defund higher education of every penny that is worth. It is now. Higher education has quickly become, generally speaking, there are obviously some few exceptions. There's Hillsdale College, there's Grove City, my alma mater, University of Chicago for law school, my alma mater there is not bad right now. We'll see where it goes. But as of now, it also is fine. But with some notable exceptions, higher education in America right now is the enemy of the people. 
And the imperative of the hour, in accordance with rewarding friends and punishing enemies within the confines of the rule of law, which I've argued for years is an imperative of the so-called new right, these universities must be punished via any legal means necessary when absolute garbage like this happens. Absolute disgrace at Stanford Law School last Thursday. Again, I want to leave you just on, a, on, a, on an encouraging note. I am encouraged to see that Judge Duncan has been fighting back here. And again, the fact that he is fighting back, I think that he understands that this should be a watershed moment for our culture. We cannot forget, we in conservative media and the commentary class in the legal profession, we cannot forget what happened to Kyle Duncan last week at Stanford Law School. If I were Judge Duncan, I would announce today a prospective boycott of hiring law clerks from Stanford Law School the same way that Judge Ho did for Yale Law School. I would hope that other federal judges would come out there with possibly similar statements, utterly scathing, this disgrace that happened. But that is the kind of firepower that we need. That's the kind of team mentality that our side needs to push back against the forces of civilizational arson and woke insanity that are taking this country ever closer to the brink. My God, these pampered, spoiled brats shouting out second or third grade playground insult at an esteemed federal appellate judge. Honestly, each and every one of you who tried to shout down Kyle Duncan like that, again, not silently protest, but those of you who actually tried to shout and succeeded in shouting him down in the heckler's veto and preventing him from speak, go to hell. And that's basically how I feel about the situation. Unbelievable. We'll be back with you next week with hopefully some more encouraging news. But for now, I encourage you to read up on the situation that has happened to Kyle Duncan. If you have not already done so, go ahead and check out his written interview with Rod Dreher. Watch the full clip. We played a segment of it earlier for you. Go ahead and watch the whole clip. It is galling stuff. You really have to watch it to believe it. You got to see it to believe it in this case. Galling stuff. Again, we will hopefully be back with you next week with some more positive, uplifting information. Hard to kind of spin this thing into a positive. It is really a new low. I genuinely feel back. I hope you're as riled up as I am. If you are not fighting back against this Marxism at this point, and that is what this is. I mean, I mean, it's not kind of economic Marxism, but, you know, to kind of use a, a, a kind of boomer con, kind of boomer era phrase, this kind of deeply, deeply inhospitable, hostile climate on campus is reflective of what a prior generation would have called cultural Marxism. If you are not fired up about what happened to Judge Duncan, then look in the mirror because the fight is right here. So I stand with you, Judge Duncan. I know many, many, many others do as well. So until next week, thank you again for listening. I'm Josh Hammer. We will see you next time. After being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. She's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The Parting Shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this 
just excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.